welcome to JudgeCast. This is Sean Caronese coming to you recorded um, for one of the last times that you will hear my voice on a regular basis on this JudgeCast. You may have noticed that we are criminally uh, slow in getting new episodes out to you. That reason being that, well, basically, um, I am now the regional coordinator for the U.S. Southwest in judges, which means that I have 160-some-odd judges that I'm looking after, and that means that time for podcasting for me is limited to more or less nothing. That said, I'm joined today by your two brand-new hosts, who will be awesome, awesome, wonderful people in helping you understand the world of magic, magic judging, magic rules, tournament information, and all sorts of cool things that you want to get out of a magic podcast called JudgeCast. So, with that, I introduce you to C.J. Schrader, who you've heard on this show before, and hello, Odin Voice. Everybody. Oh, wait. <laughs> C.J., you were saying something? I was saying hello. Yes. People know C.J. from earlier episodes where we were ribbing him about not being L2 yet, and now he is L2. That's not true. I talked about being L2 as a new L2, and I talked about the changes to L2. That's what I meant. Yeah, that's what you were on. Yeah, sure. So, Same thing. Whatever. Right. And then, also... Jess Dunks. Jess is from Vacaville, California, and he is probably, I would say, one of the up-and-coming level two judges in Northern California, which is actually saying a lot because there are a lot of really good judges in Northern California. Well, um, thank, thank you for uh, for that vote of confidence, Sean. Absolutely. absolutely. Anytime, Jess. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Jess, uh, and I guess I'm going to be uh, one of the new hosts for, for JudgeCast. I'm really excited about that. So, uh, let's dive right in if we could what are we uh was there something i'm sorry did i cut off your introduction sean i didn't want to uh, oh yeah this is this whole thing is so you guys can take it and run with it and that's what you're doing that's exactly what it what this is all about guys so so i'm gonna be here chilling and of course i'll step in with whatever but um i will be a guest voice today and this is all about the cj and jess jess (laughs) <laughs> CJ, when you're listening to this later, just cut this part no, out. No, I'm not cutting things out. I'm not. No, I, I, I'm actually okay with that. Like, uh, you know, the blah, 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 or whatever that was. That's oh, it's okay. It's gonna be a new sounder. <laughs> All right. Well, a new era for JudgeCast. Yes. We don't leave in errors like we did in the very first episode. Fair um, enough. So, yeah. Uh, by all means, guys, I'll let you run with it. All right. I thought, um, you know, it had been a while since there's been a judge cast, and I figured this episode would be a good chance to uh, basically, like we said, introduce ourselves and just go over a few of the things that came up while judge cast has not been, uh, what's the word, airing, podcasting, streaming? Uh, around, existing. Around, uh, around's a good word. Yeah. <clears throat> so, well, okay, let's start with that. I mean, I know people have heard you before on the show, CJ, but uh, let's talk about you as a host. Like, what's... Uh, introduce yourself to anybody that maybe hasn't hasn't heard you on JudgeCast before. Oh, sure. Yeah, I've only been on once. Um, I'm CJ Schrader. I'm a level two judge from Smyrna, Georgia. I am uh, one of the few level two judges. I think you guys have a lot more in California than we have here. I think we just got our fourth, fourth level two judge. Again, he was a retired judge. He just came back. But... um a lot less here, of course. We're smaller states too. Beyond that, I'm excited to be here. That's uh, that's kind of funny you mentioned that. Uh, here in California, we have kind of we have a very strong judge program, 
Yes, I know. Uh, Strong like bull. You guys beat Spain in a get new judges competition. Uh, we also had one of those with Canada uh, that I think Sean was kind of spearheading there, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I like turning the DCI into a competition. Um, okay. I, I did that with weight loss also. Uh, though, I, again, that's something that has happened a couple times with me, but I, I don't want to necessarily be known for that. <laughs> I'd rather be known for my, my sexy draft calling voice or other things. Well, Canada was a joke anyway. Let's be serious. <laughs> uh, but it's kind of funny that you mentioned the uh, the number of level twos. Uh, I remember recently um, Eric Levine is a level three judge. He's the judge who certified me for level two. And uh, recently he introduced me at a Grand Prix to someone as one of our local L2s. And uh, it, it was kind of a weird introduction because there are enough of us that we just kind of have local L2s here, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's not something you guys have other places. I know I went on a trip back home to Montana. Uh, that's where I'm originally from and went to play Friday Night Magic somewhere. And they were just shocked that I was even a certified judge. That was a really big deal to that. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of a little bit of a culture shock thing there. Um, but uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, well, that, I'm, that's one of the things we've been trying to do in California is sort of, create a model whereby every local store, if they want to have a judge, can have access to the DCI in such a way that they can get a judge, either through a store employee, a store regular, somebody like that. Um, and that's not something that a lot of other places can do because of their geographic distribution, like Montana. I mean, that's like Canada. It might as well be Canada. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, I still throw up. Exactly. Um, even even other places in the south where, where it may be miles and miles between locations, uh, it can be difficult. But here in California, we've got, like, you know, the Bay Area, one big block of cement, and you can basically get anywhere pretty easily. Um, L.A., yeah, it's a pain to get anywhere, but there are a lot of people there and a lot of stores in pretty close proximity. So, yeah, for, for us, we've got a lot of judges because of those factors um, and also because, you know, Californians like them some magic. Yeah, we definitely do. Um, I'm, I haven't really introduced myself yet. Uh, I'm Jess. Hi, everybody. And uh, <laughs> I'm a level two judge, like Sean said, from Vacaville, California. Um, and I'm really excited to be uh, involved in the judge program and appreciate Sean's nice words you said earlier. Uh, and someday we'll probably get into my story of how I became a judge. It's kind of interesting, but it's not really the focus of this particular episode. So, um, uh, where where do we got? Where do we want to start? We have a few things we wanted to talk about today, but um, well, first like, off, what do we want to dive in? I want to um, just let the listeners know that I I am meeting Jess for the first time here too. So we will all learn to adore Jess together. It'll be a, a great journey. But I thought the first thing we could talk about would be the, uh, the any IPG changes that happened. We had the January IPG come out uh, while Judge Cast was not recording. And um, I don't even want to mention it, but, you know, it, there's all this talk about those optional abilities and all that. Now, none of that ever oh, happened. God, what a nightmare. And we're just going to pretend that never happened. But I think there's still, like, four people out there who are... They're like, oh, do I have to point out my opponent's triggers? Yes, you have to point out your opponent's triggers in case you still have any doubt because you read 
one post somewhere. Uh, you still have to do that. None of that ever happened. Maybe it'll come one day, but it isn't here now. But um, that's not part of the RPG anyway. <laughs> so that's the whole point. Um, so they made quite a few. Well, they made a, a few like just cleanup changes with this last IPG. In case you're unfamiliar with it, uh, one of the things they asked for was they they changed it so that when you miss a trigger, it goes on the bottom of the stack. Now, when we're when we when you miss a trigger. And it's uh, not a May trigger, and it does, and it affects the visual state of the game. We put it on the stack. We used to put it on the top of the stack. Now we put it on the bottom of the stack, and they move that to the bottom. Now, do you guys know why that happened? Like, why they decided the bottom of the stack is the place to be? Well, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't heard anything official about it. You know, I, but I, I would assume that that's just to minimize any potential for abuse. As I definitely think that there were some times where players might find it convenient to accidentally, you know, like, you know quotes around accidentally, forget a trigger uh, such that it would be, uh, you know, put on top of the stack at the appropriate moment. And I think that they're trying to minimize that by uh, by putting it on the bottom. And I, I really think that does a pretty good job of that kind of thing. You still can't make any choices that were uh, not legal when when it could have triggered. So that hasn't changed, but I really like this new change at the bottom of the stack. What, what, Sean, what do you think? Do you have any insight into that? Um, no, you got it spot on there, Jess. I mean, it really is a matter of uh, potential for advantage, timing. It, it sort of makes sense in that if it should have triggered a while ago and we forgot it then, well, what we're doing right now shouldn't be so much affected by that trigger suddenly intervening itself and resolving in the middle of sort of the thought process that we've got going between us here. It should be, once we've got this resolved, um, then we'll take care of it, um, as long as we've noted it at the appropriate time. Um, you might even, <laughs> I hesitate to mention this, but if, if you go way back into the Wayback Machine and, and think of the early days of Magic when we used to have batches of spells, right? Sure. Um, think of this as, like, Let's let this batch get done first, and then we'll stick this trigger. We'll take care of this trigger. I don't want to think of it like that at all. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to put it on the bottom of the stack. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah, to, get, to give an ahead. example for what you said, Jess, um, if you have something like Eldrazi Temple Sacrifice Trigger, and you miss it, and then you cast, um, what's something, Reap the Seagraph, which puts you know, a 2-2 zombie on to play. Um, you can't choose to sacrifice, you know, and then at, at the time you've already cast Reap to Seagraph and we noticed that the missed trigger, we put the trigger on the bottom of the stack. When the trigger resolves, the Eldrazi sacrifice trigger, um, you can't choose to sacrifice that zombie token, which is what you said. I just thought I'd put it in an example. Uh, you can only sacrifice things that were already on the battlefield when the trigger would have gone on the stack. Yeah, that's that's totally... Uh, totally understandable. It does lead to some awkward situations I've seen. Uh, sure. Specifically, when you were talking about Eldrazi Monument, uh, I know a situation I saw once where a player uh, had a, uh, a Deceiver Exarch in the hand who wanted to cast that flash so that they could sacrifice it, and, and they can't do that. And of course, their argument was, well, I already had it in hand. But we have no idea of knowing whether or not they had that in their hand before their draw step or after their draw step or what, so we can't make changes to that. Thing. Yeah. Right. That is awkward, but oh well. 
I should make one tiny nitpick here, and it's it's a nitpick, not really a clarification. But uh, CJ, when you talked about it earlier, you said when the ability went on the stack, and it's actually when the triggered ability triggered. Um, so basically, you can't make choices involving objects that didn't exist, or that sorry that weren't legal choices when the ability triggered. Um, and the reason I mentioned that distinction as opposed to when it went on the stack is that the time between an ability triggering and an ability going on the stack are, are two very different things. Um, for instance, um, you know, if you have an ability triggering like, uh, let's say, oh dear. <laughs> you know what? I got nothing. This is, you're going to need to cut this part out. <laughs> I was actually hoping that there was some big explanation for that. For that well, difference. I'm fighting a cold right now, so I can't. <laughs> um, I'm certain that there is one. In fact, if you have one, if you uh, have one, a lot of listeners, intrepid listeners with great rules knowledge and people who want to become judges, if you have an example of an ability that would trigger at a different time than it would go on the stack, and that would maybe make a difference for this sort of triggered ability thing that we're talking about here, send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com. Your host is changing. Your email address is not. Judgecast at gmail.com. Yeah, that's kind of important to, to mention is that the, the email address, the Facebook group, all of that stuff is staying the same. It's just getting passed on to CJ and myself, and we're going uh, to keep everything moving. Oh, uh, will you will you have other guests too? Yes, uh, absolutely. Cool. I'll look forward to that. I might listen to a podcast. Oh, this will be the best podcast. Um, so, was there were there any other changes to the IPG that were uh, that were significant? Well, along the lines of a uh, trigger, still um, basically, I think there had been some confusion for a while of what to do if uh, I have Curse of the Bloody Tome and it's enchanting you. And you miss the trigger because it triggers at the beginning of your upkeep. Like, whose fault is that? And they, they clarified that um, in a couple of ways here. Uh, first off, if, if basically I'm enchanting you with Curse of the Bloody Tome, and there are other examples of cards like this, like uh, Verdant Force. By the way, Curse of the Bloody Tome says something like, uh, at the beginning of Enchanted Player's upkeep, that player puts the top two cards of his library into his graveyard. I believe. And it, yeah. it bugs me on, on podcasts when people assume that everybody has every card um, memorized, particularly because I always listen on my drive into work, so I can never remember what all the cards are. Anyway, uh, so if I am enchanted with Curse of the Bloody Tomb and I draw a card, and at this moment I'm like, oh, crap, I should have put the top two cards in my library in my graveyard, um, and I call a judge over, the judge is just going to say, hey, no big deal. Don't do it again. There's no infraction. We just put the trigger on the stack and resolve it. And if I happen to be in the middle of some action, uh, I complete that action. But beyond that, we just go ahead and resolve the trigger with no penalty. Now, I think if it's caught any later than that at all, then there will be the normal missed trigger penalty. The, the, the new IPG specifies that uh, the only action that can be taken is to have drawn a card. If any yes. other actions are taken, you follow the rest of the normal procedures for uh, for mistriggers. Uh, so they would still be awarding there if anything else has happened. Yep. 
That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a pretty awesome thing to note, though, is that a lot of players have this misconception that something goes wrong in the game. And a lot of judges have this misperception also. Mm-hmm. Something goes wrong in the game, and therefore I need to have an infraction, I need to have a penalty to associate with what I'm doing to fix the thing that went wrong. And there are a lot of things out there that can happen in Magic that are not infractions. They're not things that, that we actually, you know, put pen to paper and give somebody a penalty and say, hey, this might get upgraded or, you know, we don't do that for a lot of the things that can go wrong in a tournament. You know, we'll, we'll say, hey, you know, I forgot to shuffle my opponent's deck after he presented it to me. Or, you know, and, and you simply say, okay, great. Cut it now. Shuffle it now. Yep. And, and, you know, th- th- things that are, are not really infractions, um, you know, it, it's... It, People need to understand that not everything is going to be a documented infraction. Okay, yep. my tirade's over. No. <laughs> I think that's a great point. So, how about the new IPG? I guess we've summarized it pretty well. <clears throat> <laughs> Indeed. Actually, uh, what we haven't talked about yet is uh, looping, uh, the infinite loop situation. Hey, that's, that's one that's fun. Oh, yeah. And I'm not a legacy player, so, that, so my problem is that I, I kind of understand what it means, but it doesn't come up for me, right? I don't really play in or, or judge a lot of legacy events. So uh, I know that the something called the Four Horsemen deck was popular that, that did this, uh, but I don't know what it did. Uh, but my understanding is that um, this new situation or this new section of the IPG is, is designed to keep things from being an infinite loop when you can't just say, I'm going to do this you know, 15 times or 150 times or whatever and get a set result when there's unknown uh, iterations that have to occur. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. CJ? Yeah. Although I got to say, uh, <laughs> um, Sean, Sean's going to take this show back. I was like, I don't really play Legacy either. So <laughs> when all this looping stuff came out, I was like, whatever. <laughs> Doesn't happen in draft. But yeah, that's not exactly right. Toby said some great stuff about this in his email where he first sent it out. I think it was a little overshadowed by the uh, optional abilities, but he actually explained it pretty well. Uh, He says that if you have a loop where you're going to say something like, I'm going to do this 50 times, add 50 mana to my mana pool, and a creature is untapped, that loop is perfectly acceptable. Uh, Mainly because you are saying, I know how many times I'm going to do this loop. I know how the game state's going to... going to be at the end of the loop and you know i know what's going to happen during the loop i'm stating all this stuff uh and then to read what else he said he said what is not acceptable is to try to perform a loop without being able to describe both the number of times and the final game state so something like i mill until you have two emeralds left in your library is not an acceptable loop so basically and these are all changes to the uh the slow play rules which allow judges to give uh players a slow play warning if they're trying to do these these loops that are just going to take forever i mean sure sometimes they'll hit on the first try but doesn't matter it's it's these loops that are just going to take forever we can you know say hey i need you to do something in this game to progress it so that you don't spend 50 minutes trying to sort your deck using scry 2 or something well that that seems like a reasonable uh expectation you know because I, I think uh, so you don't want somebody to sit there on turn five of turns and just go, I'm going to spend the next 45 minutes uh, milling you until you only have you know, one Emrakul and it's the last card in your library. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, th- I think that's that's uh, 
that's totally reasonable. And now that we can give slow play warnings for that, uh, we actually have something to do rather than just say, I, I need you to play faster. I need you to move along with the game state. We actually have, uh, you know, kind of a recourse for that to track that kind of thing. Uh, I'm sure there will be some players that are not happy because they have their, their pet deck that does exactly that. But I think overall we're improving the tournament experience uh, for everybody. Yeah, I, I can't say... I can't say as somebody who doesn't play a deck like that, I'm not going to be upset that somebody can't sit across from me and be like, you can go get a drink or something because I'm going to be doing this loop for 30 minutes. I'm perfectly fine with this change. Uh, and I've, I've definitely played my share of annoying decks. Like sure. uh, in extended, I played a necrotic goose combo deck that some of you, some of our listeners are probably uh, familiar with uh, that could take a while once it started going off to actually get there, but it had an endpoint. I knew I was going to do something X number of times and, and, and I could state all of these things and then just go through the motions of doing it. Um, but it, it never had anything like this whole, um, then I'm going to put Emrakul in my graveyard and reshuffle everything. It didn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about this. Uh, I think it pretty much covers, uh, you know, the changes to the IPG. Um, yeah, was there, is there, what other things have happened since uh, since the last time there was a podcast? I just want to mention with the IPG real quick because uh, Sean brought this up before we started talking. There's apparently a new one coming on uh, March 20th. Oh, that's right. That's right. So we'll definitely have a show for that. Actually, uh, since we didn't talk about this in the beginning, we intend at this moment to record, um, I guess the word is fortnightly, every two weeks, and to bring up all that kind of information. So we might be able to discuss that one on our next show it could be back-to-back ipg shows that's exciting everybody will love that anyway (laughs) since the last show there's been yeah there's been so much stuff but uh there was this big this big hubbub about this uh gp indianapolis playmat and i know you want to talk about that just i did i did because uh you know this Okay, so let me let me give some background real quick for, for people that may not be familiar with the situation. Uh, Grand Prix Indianapolis, which has not happened yet, uh, or well, at the time of this recording, hasn't happened yet. It's uh, the playmat that was going to be given out for that had some artwork that Wizards of the Coast found inappropriate, and they told the tournament organizer, "You can't give that playmat out at the event." Uh, and there was some controversy over whether or not they should have stepped in and done that. There was some controversy over whether or not it was actually inappropriate. Uh, All that neither here nor there. Uh, What I wanted to talk about is how sometimes you'll be running an event as a judge or as a tournament organizer, and somebody will come to your event with a playmat that is just really inappropriate uh, or sleeves that are very inappropriate. I've seen this happen. And what do you do when... When somebody has sleeves that are just, you know, wow, I, I wouldn't want my, you know, my kid or my brother or my sister to, to see that while they're playing Magic. Uh, how do you handle that kind of thing? What, what well, do you think, DJ? Um, my, okay, I, I'll be honest. I haven't seen any sleeves that are so bad that I'm outright like, you know, no, get no, that won't work. But I have seen some that are borderline where, and if, if the player who has the sleeves comes up and asks me about them, I basically tell them this. I'm like, um, if they're borderline, I'm like, you can play with these sleeves, but the first time somebody complains to me about it, 
uh, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and change them out. So I go ahead and let them know up front. I might be asking him to change those sleeves later and uh, let them know that's coming. But what about you? Well, um, you know, I've, I've seen some unfortunate sleeves and play mats and even some uh, inappropriate alters of cards that people have tried to use. And when that comes up, I the first thing I do is I, I ask this player, I, I, when somebody asks me about it, I ask this player, what makes you think that this is appropriate? And they may or may not have an answer for that. But generally speaking, if they think it might be inappropriate, if they're coming up to me and asking me, hey, is this inappropriate? It's probably inappropriate. <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> it's, it's probably beyond the point where, where everyone would be okay with it. Um, so generally speaking, if they're going to come up and ask me, hey, is this okay? And it's a, a question of whether or not this, this might be offensive to someone, I'm going to tell them that they probably shouldn't use it. Now, if they haven't come up to me and I walk past and just notice it, uh, this is where personal judgment comes in. I don't have to just ask myself, do I feel offended by this? Because I may not be, honestly. But what I need to ask is, will anyone else be offended by this? And is this appropriate uh, for the venue? Is this appropriate for children to come into this game store and, and see this here, even though there might not be any kids here now? Is, is this okay? And sometimes the answer is no. And you just have to ask somebody, I need you to change those sleeves out, or can you please not use that play mat? And you don't necessarily have to interrupt their game as it is right now, but just ask them, you know, after the match, uh, would you please change those out? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something we need to be uh, able to do, you know, ready to do as judges and not be afraid to uh, interact with our players on that level and say, you know, I understand that you're, that you like these, you're just trying to express yourself, but these really aren't appropriate for this venue. Uh, would you mind changing those out for me? And I actually wouldn't even say, would you mind? Just please yeah. change those out. Uh, and that, that's really all I wanted to bring up. I didn't want to discuss the specifics of, of the playmat itself that was brought up, sure. but it, it came to my mind that sometimes this comes up on a more local scale. Sean, well, did you have any thoughts? Yeah, though? one thing I'd want to note is that this is actually much more related to an organizer's issue than it is a judging issue. Um, I mean, yes, we definitely get into vulgarity and profanity when we talk about unsporting conduct, uh, but those are more actions and, and things that people do. When we're talking about <clears throat> sort of the fit, the standards for the venue, um, there's this little referenced piece of piece of documentation um, where it's it's actually an organizer's code of conduct. And um, if you'll bear with me here for just a second, uh, play some holding music as I find this great document for you here. You know, it's, uh, I know a lot of our, our judges, at least in this area, a lot of judges are TOs. Uh, a lot of the judges at local stores uh, uh, are also the tournament art organizer for that store. So they kind of have to fill both roles and wear all those hats. Um, so uh, I think maybe I'm under the impression that it's that way for, for most stores that their judge is also the PO, but I suppose that's probably not true. That's definitely oh. not true in Georgia. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. That's fair. Well, and that's, that's certainly um, a blurry line though. That's actually, that's sort of an ongoing theme uh, that we've had in the whole course of judge cast. I mean, that, that, that we definitely talk about organizers issues on par with judging issues because the line between what we do for one or the other is kind of blurry. I mean, just last weekend at Grand Prix Seattle, 
I was, you know, running cash boxes of entry fees back and forth between, you know, the guy in the secure room taking care of the cash and the judges who were taking entry fees. Um, that's not taking rulings. It's not picking up trash or pushing in chairs, but it's definitely part of judging. That is making the event run smoothly. <clears throat> so here is a cough. No, here is um, – sorry about that, guys. Quite all right. So um, basically this organizer's code of conduct, and I'll include a link here. Whoops. I'll include a link so that way you guys can – uh, maybe post this to the show notes um, so people can take a look at it. Um, and so you guys can read what I'm shipping you here right now. Um, basically, it includes running quality organized play events. That's basically talking about how the event should be run in general. Um, conducting oneself as a tournament organizer. And then also partnering with, with Wizards of the Coast. Those are the three basic sections of bullet points here. Um, and one of those bullet points... Um, is basically that the distribution, publication, or display of pornographic and or sexually explicit materials at events is not permitted. That's part of the organizer code of conduct. So you can fall back on that when you're talking to, say, an organizer. Um, and the, event, the, the organizer can fall back on that if he's getting pushed back from some of his customers, saying, this is part of what I'm held to as my standards uh, by Wizards if I want to run events for them. This is what I need to do. So if you need, you know, for some folks that don't like that confrontational style or are hesitant to bring this up because they feel like, well, you know, I don't want to push my own view, this is what documentation exists for. It's to hold people to, a, a you know, a, a con consistent standard. And this code of conduct is also something you can fall back on and say, no, really, this is a rule that, you know, I'm not making this up. It's not my own personal standard. It's the standard of this company which I'm partnering with. So it's maybe a little stronger and easier for folks to ask for compliance with that. Yeah, that's a great way to do that, to know about it. Yeah, actually the IPG, I think, it might be the IPG or the MTR, it actually has a line that straight up says, you know, when giving a penalty, don't say, like, it's your opinion. Just say, this is what the IPG says, and I'm following this. And it says to do that because then uh, players will be like, well, that darn IPG always giving me these game losses for drawing extra cards. And it's not the judge who is, is blamed as if the judge is out there just making rulings, f feeling like how, whatever he wants to do. So to wrap up this uh, playmat stuff, um, if, if somebody had got one of these playmats on the black market and brought it to one of your events, would you ask them probably to put that thing away? Or do you think, eh? Um, if they somehow managed to get one and they brought it to an event at my local store, yeah. um, I'm definitely going to tell them uh, that that's not appropriate, especially given everything that's been going on surrounding that particular playmat and how yeah. Wizards of the Coast specifically said that's not appropriate. I'm, I'm just going to follow through with that and say if it wasn't appropriate for the GP, it's definitely not appropriate here. Um, and and then we're going to fall back on that organizing document we were just talking about. Makes uh, sense. So that's that's how I, I would handle that situation. All right. Well, yeah. I guess we're uh, ready to move on to the rules questions. I was able to. Obviously, people haven't been sending in too many, but I was able to scrounge up a few rules questions that Sean didn't um, have yet before the last episode of JudgeCast. So for the you future, know, oh what? I, oh yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. 
Okay. I will say for the future, if, if any of you out there have uh, rules questions you want answered on the show, or just answered in general, we'll, we'll answer them immediately or as soon as we can and then read them on the show later. Um, you can send your rules questions to judgecast at gmail.com, and we will read them on the show, and you'll be like internet famous. <laughs> uh, I'm actually excited to hear these rules questions because I haven't uh, taken the opportunity to look at them yet because yeah. – I always I always get excited to, to hear questions for the first time, right? It's a challenge for me. So, so yep. if you have those ready to go, uh, let's, do. let's do that. And there's nothing – I'm not throwing anything too tough to you um, like I did earlier for the part that will be cut and everyone will be wondering what I'm talking about right now. <laughs> um, so let me read this question. Basically, this question comes from – oh, wait. Sean. Who normally does the mailbag thing? Well, that was Ricky. Well, it's going to be you this episode. Ah. <clears throat> <clears throat> me, 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 me. <sighs> okay. Here we go. I'm ready. Make this count. Oh, man. I like the deep breath there. That was kind of Vader-ish of you. <laughs> Milk. Milk. Oh, wow. No, I'm not doing this right. Uh, sorry, Milk did you... Did you put your cat up to the microphone? What happened there? <laughs> no, Rafiq is not in the room right now. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, all right, so this one comes from Brendan Hurst from Rockville, Maryland. Oh, and to be fair, I think I probably did answer these questions emailing them back. Like, Yeah, you answered back, all three like, emailing. Like six months ago when they actually asked the question. But yes. um, I, I probably even recorded the answers to it in an episode that didn't make it to the air. Oh. Like, some someday, you know, years from now, when I'm dead and gone, there will be some, you know, person that somehow finds my computer in a trash heap somewhere and says, <laughs> wow, archived episodes of Jud- JudgeCast, never published. Let's see what this is all about. It's like what they do with, like, Tupac and everything. They're still right, releasing right, right. albums, be like yeah. like Al Capone's, you know, vault, but less exciting. Yes. So... <laughs> Let me read these questions. Uh, like I said, they're from Brendan Hurst. Um, he asks three questions, and they're basically all related to fight. Um, ah, the fight mechanic, yes. Yes, and I think the answers to all three are kind of the same, but I'll go ahead and read all three questions. Um, what happens if a flipped Daybreak Ranger leaves the battlefield with its fight ability on the stack? Does the ability use last known information? And then the second part is... What happens instead if you cast Prey Upon and only one of the targets leaves the battlefield? And the third question is, what happens if instead of that target leaving the battlefield, it gains Hexproof and plus one, plus one? So what all these questions boil down to basically is um, what happens if you have two creatures fighting each other and then one of the creatures disappears or is no longer a legal target? Well, it's the the situations with Prey Upon and uh, Daybreak Ranger or Nightfall Predator, which is the side that we're talking about. Uh, are slightly different mm-hmm. uh, because Nightfall Predator doesn't target itself. Um, it just says, pay one red mana and tap it. Nightfall Predator fights target creature. Um, oh, okay, that is relevant. Uh, so it seems like, because in a lot of situations, uh, I know that in a past standard season, a lot of people liked to put Basilisk Color on Cunning Spark Mage, and Basilisk Color gave it Death Touch. Intending Spark Mage could shoot creatures or players for one mm-hmm. uh, by tapping it. And so in those situations, when you tap the Cunning Spark Mage, 
to deal one damage to a creature, even if the Spark Mage isn't on the battlefield anymore when that ability resolves, uh, it still had Death Touch and still kills the creature because it last known information. In the case of Fight specifically, when Fight was created, uh, well, not when it was created, but when the set was released, uh, there was a rule in the comprehensive rules that basically says Fight doesn't use last known information. Uh, so with the creature, with the Nightfall Predator leaving the battlefield, in this example, uh, neither creature is going to deal damage to each other because the creature that was fighting is no longer there. Uh, now, the second situation with Prey Upon, with Prey Upon says target creature you control fights target creature you don't control. And if one of those creatures dies somehow before Prey Upon resolves, well, then you have a situation where uh, uh, it doesn't use less than information that the creatures aren't going to deal damage to each other because they, they don't exist. It's very, very similar. Uh, the question I have for you is, because Prey Upon is targeting both creatures, does it still resolve? Uh, yeah, it absolutely does, because it, the card has two trigger or two triggers, two targets, and a card is countered for having no targets only if both targets become illegal. So since it still has a target, the spell still resolves, although it does nothing uh, for right. the reasons that you said. For fight, both creatures have to be there. I'll even, I'll even read the rule, because I opened it up. Um, it says, if a creature instructive fight is no longer on the battlefield or is no longer a creature, no damage is dealt. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, that's all the that's all the rule. That's all you need. Yeah, that's a it's pretty straightforward uh, rule. Yeah. Um, um, and Sean re- explained it in his reply because I have the I have the advantage of reading his reply too. Um, and it's, it's a good way to describe it is you kind of think of it as exchanging damage, which uh, exchange has similar rules where if you're trying to exchange exchange my land for your land and then one of the lands goes away the exchange doesn't happen and it's basically uh-huh. the same thing with fight and then i think we've covered the the hex proof case too that that's basically what you just asked me oh yeah sorry about that I just <laughs> jumped ahead there. uh you know the situation with the exchanging lands reminds me of something else that came up in Innistrad limited mm-hmm. uh where somebody was using Tree of Redemption. And Tree of Redemption is a yes. zero thirteen creature that exchanges your life total with its toughness, which has never been done before as far as I know on a magic card. Uh, and uh, I had a player try to use that ability. He tapped it to exchange power and toughness, and another player destroyed it. They destroyed the Tree of Redemption uh, with the ability on the stack. And then he's like, Judge... Uh, isn't he dead now? Like, because it changes <laughs> to a creature that isn't there anymore. And I uh, know, no, it definitely doesn't work that way. Uh, the exchange just doesn't happen because part of it can't. Oh. <laughs> okay, so here's a different question. If, uh, say, say we have had another creature die sometime in the turn, and I tragic slip your Tree of Redemption in response to you activating its ability. So, crafty. So, so it gets minus thirteen, minus thirteen. So it's tough. It's not being destroyed. Its toughness is zero, though. So does your life total become zero? Well, it's uh, the creature because its toughness is zero. State based action puts the creature in the graveyard before its ability resolves. So it's not oh, there. Damn it! Damn However, it. if you first give it plus one, plus one somehow, and then do that, they're stuck at one, and you can just guys flame them and kill them. Oh, that's yeah, that good. works. Uh, <laughs> Let me say, since you just reminded me of it, and it's a pet peeve of mine, and I have a 
um, according to the number of thousands of people audience right now. It is state-based actions, which is what just said. It is not state-based effects. I don't know where this whole state-based effects thing came from or why it's repeated so many times, but it's actions. State-based actions. Uh, I believe it used to be. Uh, Sean, you may be correct me if I'm wrong there. Is that but true? It used to be state-based effects, and it was changed to state-based actions. Yeah, used to bees are extinct now. Oh, uh, see, I didn't even know that. I was wondering why it was so. Um, in fact, there were patches, which we don't like to remember. Yes, and interrupts <laughs> and banding. All right, so Brendan sent another question, though. Let's let's read that one off real quick. Brendan um, is one wordy guy. He he is. Well, he writes well, though. So I'll give him that. Um, he asks, if I cast Traitor's Blood, stealing an Olivia Valdarin for a turn, and then use her ability to ping herself, I now control her for as long as I can troll her, is how he put it. Uh, what happens when the uh, Traitor's Blood effect wears off during the cleanup? And as a quick note, Olivia Valdarin has a couple abilities. One is um, she can pay a little bit of mana to deal one damage to a creature, and that creature becomes a vampire forever and ever. And then she can pay another amount of mana to have... Um, you, the activating person of the ability, gain control of target vampire. So, well, have at it, Jess. Okay, well, the first thing I want to mention about this is that, uh, in my experience, it's been a pretty common misconception with Olivia Voldaren. She can't shoot herself. Um, she can only deal damage to another target creature. Oh, I didn't even notice. I've never tried. Uh, so, uh, well, I I know this because I have tried. Uh, yeah. <laughs> got it wrong. Um because my thought was, oh, I can just shoot her and give her plus one, plus one counters, you know, as much mana. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Uh, so we are going under the assumption that she didn't say that for the sake of this question. But she does. You can't shoot Olivia Valderin with herself. Um, so let me make sure I understand, right? We trade her as blood Olivia Valderin, we have her shoot herself, and then we take control of her. Is that correct? Um, Supposedly. No, you don't Supposedly. have her shoot. It's totally unnecessary to have her shoot herself. I don't know why... He wrote that. Oh, actually. I see what you're saying. Yeah, because he did, he did put he put use her ability to ping herself, but by ping he meant gain control of herself, not okay. So uh, the second ability it says gain control of target vampire, and she meets yep. that criteria. She is she is a vampire. Uh, so when you activate that, you will continue to control Olivia Valderin for as long as you control Olivia Valderin, yep. which means you'll continue past the end of the turn to control it. Yep, uh, basically. I, Go ahead. I had a fun little deck uh, for a while that used a card called Bizarre Trader, which is terrible and you should never play. Uh, let me stop you right here. I have a friend who owns over 200 Bizarre Traders. His <laughs> entire plan is he feels that if he can buy all the Bizarre Traders, then the value of Bizarre Trader will go up and then he can sell the Bizarre Traders. You I don't know this guy? There's this guy that did that with jade statues, like from Bama. <laughs> <laughs> he actually, there's this YouTube video of him with all of the jade statues. You know where they say like, like you know, learn all the rules or you know judge all the tournaments. Like as a as a meme, this yeah. guy owns all the jade statues. He literally owns something like more than three percent of the print run of jade statues. Huh. Wow! It did <sighs> not work for him. <laughs> oh. Well, it's because he didn't have all of them. You right. have to just get 100% of the print run, and then, uh, and then you know, everybody will still not want that card. Uh, right. But I ruined your story. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. No, it's just uh, basically this mm. whole deck revolved around taking your creatures and then using with things like Active Treason 
mm-hmm. to uh, take control of it until end of turn, and then you'd use Bizarre Trader to give yourself control of the creature you control, then it would be a permanent effect. Yep. Uh, and so that was that was a lot of fun, and the deck had other ways to deal with uh, with the creatures if you didn't have a Bizarre Trader. So I had like a Jinx Idol, and I had uh, uh, Sark and the Mad, which let me sacrifice them to make dragons and stuff like that. Uh, crazy old man Sarkin. Um, but that, that was the end of my story. Just uh, this interesting, uh, terrible, bizarre trader deck that I played. <laughs> um, so our next question comes from Christopher Lee, who I believe was in Star Wars. Um, it's Count Dooku. He says, blah, blah, blah about the podcast. Nothing important. Oh, he's from Melbourne, which I think is in Australia. I'm not very good at geography. It is. Um, Unless there's a different Melbourne than he is from. So he says, say my friend plays a Hellspark Elemental, uh, which is a 3-1 Trample Haste, and it says at the beginning of the end state step, sacrifice Hellspark Elemental. And then at the beginning of his end step, while the delay trigger is on the stack, he activates the Sundial, a, a Sundial of the Infinite, which just basically says one mana tap in the turn, to end the turn. Does the Hellspark stay indefinitely, or what happens? Uh, well... Hellspark Elemental uh, has a triggered ability that says, at the end of the turn, sacrifice Hellspark Elemental. Uh, If that ability said something like, at the end of the turn, you gain two life, it would happen every time the end of the turn happened, whether it was your turn or your opponent's turn. So if you use Sundial of the Infinite to end the turn in response to that, it will end the turn and you won't have to sacrifice the Hellspark Elemental, but at the end of your opponent's turn, we reach that point again and then triggers again at the end of the turn and you have to sacrifice Hellspark Elemental at the end of your opponent's turn. Yep. Right. It, because it be. always says at the beginning of the end step. It's right. never at the beginning of the next end step and and never again. It's always beginning of the end step. Well, thank you for correcting me. That's the new wording on that. I, I remember... Hellspark Elemental actually said at end of turn, but now we, we don't call it that anymore. We say no. the beginning of the end step. Yes. Uh, so, he, so if there's a thing that triggers at the beginning of the next end step and you use Sundial of the Infinite with that trigger on the stack, then you can prevent it from ever triggering again. Which right, is that was... Go ahead. Sorry, CJ. I would say which is his second question. Ah. Which Sean just ruined. I already <laughs> read this because uh, the guy has unearth. So the question is, you know, you unearth it, which does have that wording at the beginning of the next in step. So that is a way to keep your uh, Hellspark Elemental. Did you have anything else you want to add, Jess? Uh, well, it's it's kind of a way to keep your Hellspark Elemental. But keep in mind that Hellspark Elemental will still try to sac- uh, sacrifice itself at the end of the turn, and then. And we have the same situation, and then the oh. thing will will remove it from the game. I uh, sure do. <laughs> I forgot about that trigger. <laughs> uh, and I'm not even actually sure that Unearth works that way. Uh, the uh, I'd have to pull up the cop rules on Unearth to be 100 percent sure, but I think that does that actually say beginning of the next end step? Is that how that works? Yes. Yeah, I looked it up while uh, while I was talking because I, I oh, didn't. Okay play during Unearth, but it says, uh, this is just a reminder text, but it's close enough. It says exile it at the beginning of the next in-step, or if it would leave the battlefield. Well, you know, you gotta be careful with uh, 
with uh, reading reminder text. Oh, I know. That is misleading. Um, You know, because I know with Unearth specifically, there were some momentary blink questions that came up that were pretty confusing for some people. Um, But actually, that reminds me, speaking of of reminder text and how it can be misleading, of something that could be relevant in modern, now that it's the PGT format. Um, If you cast something with flashback from your graveyard, and my opponent uh, or your opponent casts delay targeting and delay says uh, counter target spell if it's countered this way remove it from the game instead of putting it into his owner's graveyard and give it three time counters mm-hmm. and if it didn't have suspend it gains suspend so it gets exiled with three time counters and gains suspend um, but if you cast something with flashback uh, and while it's on the stack they delay it what happens does it does it get the time counters and then and then come back or is it just exiled because you flashbacked it? You know what? I can't say that I'm a hundred percent sure, um, but I'm gonna take a shot and say that no. it's. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> oh, what could happen? CJ, are you just guessing now? Come on! I am. Um, well, give me your best. I actually guess. didn't hear the question. I was I was like Facebooking and stuff. Oh, that's cool. We didn't really need you, I guess. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> you didn't hear the question, Sean? I heard some of it. Okay, Something so about wait. suspend. Right. So, do you know do you know the card delay? Yes. Okay. So, it, you I know, have... in French, in French, it's retard. Oh, that's funny. Yes. French <laughs> delays are are really really valuable. Uh, well, also, uh, I know. Uh, kind of a tangent here, but uh, mental misstep in French is uh, faux pas mental, and uh, it's a judge friend of mine that that wanted those, and I, I managed to get a hold of one for him. But uh, so back to this situation, though, uh, if you cast something with flashback from your graveyard mm-hmm. and your opponent delays it, what happens? Will it get exiled uh, because of flashback, or will it get exiled because of delay and get the three time counters or you know what what goes on there and cj was about to hazard a guesses to the answer yeah yes i, I, I just heard cj's like guessing sounds and i was like oh that could be really bad <laughs> i what but, but i think uh, let's, get, let's get into your okay i'm gonna let you hazard your guess and we'll we'll like I, I don't have any sound effects prepared for this because I was like supposed to be just ancillary to the whole recording that's process. That's okay. But well, you know, next time we'll have sound effects ready to go. You know. This oh is- yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> I think if I could finish my sentence now, please. Sure. Sure. Um, I think it's going to get exiled anyway with the time counters. Um, the uh, let me look up delay real quick. Make sure that's a replacement. Oh, no, I mistyped. Yeah, it seems to me like it would get the time counters because um, Delay's going to counter it, and then because the spell is going to exile, uh, I don't think Flashback's really going to apply, try to exile it because it's already being exiled. That's actually 100% right. Uh, uh, Flashback, the comprehensive rules for Flashback say that it will be exiled uh, if it would go to any other zone. So yes. if it's going to the exile zone, Flashback doesn't even care. It's just like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah, That's where it's going. Seems fine. Um, yeah, you tried to bring me down, but I... I, I, was, trying to br- I was trying to bring you down. It's just, uh, <laughs> talking about, and we're talking about reminder text being misleading, and the reminder text on Flashback 
is uh, kind oh, of yeah. can imply that it works the other way when it doesn't. Yeah, and that's that's what I was talking about. Um, so this um, Chris guy that we forgot about, he has one more question. I think it's basically the same thing, but he says, uh, my friend has a Mimic Vat with a Primeval Titan exiled. And then he says, at the end of my turn, he activates Mimic Vat to produce a copy of Primeval Titan, which will be exiled at the beginning of the next end step. While that triggers on the stack, he activates Sundial, um, blah, blah, blah. I think we literally just discussed this. Uh, you know, it, since it only has the, at the beginning of the next in, uh, end step trigger, it will not be exiled if you end the turn with that trigger on the stack. That is the important part. You have to end the turn with the trigger on the stack. If you end the turn before the trigger goes on the stack, then it will still trigger during the next end step, which will be your opponent's end step in this case, or depending on when you activate the Mimic Vat. Does that sound good? Right. Because it's, it's a delayed trigger that only happens once. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Wild. Then, then you have a very, uh, a very happy primeval Titan token who's getting land. You know what'll make me happy? Is when Primeval Titan is no longer in standard. <laughs> Shouldn't be much longer. We hope. We hope. They, they, I hope they don't reprint them in M13. Uh, I, I Truthfully, I think they've basically said they're not going to. Yeah. So I think we're pretty safe there. Spoiler alert, everybody. <laughs> Uh, this question's a little bit harder to parse, but it's from Jared from Clyde, Texas. Maybe that says something. Maybe I shouldn't. Sure he's not from. I think he's from Denmark. From Denmark? I think he's from Denmark. I think you need to read this with a Danish accent. Um, I work with a bunch of Danes. My well, you should Danish. be able to nail this. I can't. <laughs> it's all jibber jabber to me. Oh! Oh! Wow! Uh, Okay. okay, so we just lost the Danish contingent of our, of our listening audience. I'm sorry, Andreas Kvang Jepsen, you, yeah. you, you are no longer welcome to listen to JudgeCast, apparently, according to C.J. Schrader. This is, uh, this is a new development. Listen, I have never seen... What the... I have a cat poking an arm under the chair. I have never seen a Dane that didn't also speak English, so... So now you're telling me they all sound the same? No, I'm saying they all speak English, so I don't have to learn their... Voodoo language. Oh wow! Okay, wow, let's move on to the question here. Yeah. <laughs> let's, he's from Texas, and I didn't want to mess with Texas, so I messed with Dan, you know Denmark here. But wow, okay. <sighs> <sighs> All right. So, All right, so what's the question? <laughs> let's 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 okay. uh, pass this. I have an acidic slime, which is a two-two uh, death touch. Nothing else really matters, and then we give him plus two plus zero and trample using Keswick Wolf Run, and I attack you. You block with a Primeval Titan. Yay, more Primeval Titans. Um, how much damage can we do here? Like, what? what is the results here? Because there's six toughness, do we have to do all six, or do we have to do all four damage to the Titan, or can we trample over a little bit, somehow have a slime trample over a Titan? What's going on? Well, the... Uh the way Death Touch and Trample work together is actually really interesting um, because any amount of damage that comes from a creature with Death Touch is considered uh, lethal damage. It's enough damage to kill that creature. So when a creature has both Death Touch and Trample, it only needs to assign one damage uh, to each creature that it is blocking, or sorry, that it's blocking it. Uh, 
in order to trample. So in this case, it deals one death-touching damage to the Primeval Titan, and it'll deal three more damage to the Primeval Titan's controller. Or as the Planeswalker is attacking. You know. Yeah, I think it's attacking a player in this question, but yeah. That is totally it. You know what, let me... I'm going to throw another death-touch question at you. This is just from my own head. Awesome. This I is, love those questions. Yes, this is more high-level, of course, so this is not a, a lower-level question, but let's say I... I you have a um, what's that guy name? I think his name is just Indestructible Mirror. It's just that it's that little zero one Indestructible um, guy, and I I attack you. You block. I attack you with my acidic slime. You block with your Indestructible Mirror. Okay, so uh-huh. that all happens. Um, before the end of the turn, I use Humble or something to make your mirror lose Indestructible. What happens? So he's still got that two damage on him. Um, hmm, this example is no good. Say he's zero six. Okay, there he is. <laughs> because he's still oh. got that two damage from a death touch source. Is my point. Mm. That's a really good question. Um, so the acidic slime attacked this indestructible zero six creature that is not. Uh, I, I looked it up. Dark steel mirror. The card Dark steel. That's what it is. Um, and uh, Darksteel Mirror somehow is a zero six creature and, and blocks this two two acidic slime. Um, so wow, that's that's a very good question. Hold on just a second. Let me think. It's right. got the death touch damage is still on it. Um, you know, I this is me hazarding a guess because I actually don't know the answer to this question. But I'm going to go with. Uh, death touch damage is only death touch damage when it's when the creature is dealing damage to it. I actually don't know if that's correct or not, but I think it will just be a zero six with two damage, mm-hmm. and it, it won't be destroyed because of damage. Sean, did you want to guess? Uh, yeah, actually, I I'm not gonna guess. He probably he knows the answer. I'm, I'm sure. sorry. I mean, okay, Level except three. we're talking about humble, which makes it a zero one. But you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay. Let's 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 say for the sake of argument that you have something that you know it is no longer indestructible, but it still has more than two toughness. Yeah, right? I, that's I, what I you're trying to say. So, yes. So a creature with that such deals damage to another creature which is indestructible, but has some giant toughness number. Later on, that creature loses indestructibility. Mm-hmm. That death touch. The fact that the creature was dealt damage by a creature with death touch only matters the first time you check state-based actions after the damage was dealt. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, Jess, okay. you were 100% correct. Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to just read the rule real quick. It's, it's one of the state-based actions. Uh, it just basically says, if a creature has toughness greater than zero and it's been dealt damage by a source with death touch since the last time state-based actions were checked... That creature is destroyed. Regeneration can replace this event. So, right. But yeah, you're, so it only matters the first time we check state-based state actions. After that, it's not important at all. But remember, kids, Death Touch is not a triggered ability. It is a static ability. Yes. Okay. So it is now. Right. Well, that's <laughs> what I'm trying to. Yes, people need to get that. Yeah, that's, true. <laughs> that's true. People still mess that one up. It is definitely not triggered. Well. That was all the rules questions we had. Wow. Okay. Well, hopefully next time you'll have more. Yes, that's that's sure the hope. Will. 
I think we'll get people to send us some. I hope so. Well, I hope people are excited that Judge Cast is back on on uh, schedule here, and we're going to be uh, coming out with more episodes. And I I know I'm excited about it, and I want to thank John for, for doing this kind of transition thing and being our first guest on the show uh, and helping us out with that. Absolutely, gentlemen. I, I am very glad. I've been looking for quite some time for for some folks to take this on who. Um, you know, we actually one of the reasons we're delayed so long is because we tried handing this off to a couple other different groups of of other judges who offered when they they said, "Hey, you know, you're not recording very often. Can you, you know, can we take it?" And it sort of didn't work out with either of them for various reasons. Um, it, the Florida judges, especially. God, I mean, <laughs> I love the guys, Brian Prilliman. An awesome guy, but not to name names or anything. No, no, he's a, he's an awesome guy, and he he is probably the most. Uh, I really hope you guys have him on as a guest later on because he is a really I, dedicated and interesting guy. Um, I um, but, I won't be able to get by without having at least like each Florida judge on once. Exactly, I get so but much crap from them. You you can tell, yeah, exactly. But you can tell them for me that you know Judge Cast should not be all dick and fart jokes, and I'm guessing that's what it would have been if they, if it had been a Florida Judge Cast as ah, opposed to a cross country Judge Cast coast to coast with uh, Judge Cast coast to coast. Yeah, that's what it is with you guys. That's nice, right? got all the so, perspectives. Yeah, and uh, time changes too. Speaking of which, CJ is getting late for you, so we should probably wrap this up, eh? Yeah, it's not that late. It's only nine fifty. Radio. All right, yo. Well, well, you know, Sean likes to go to bed early because he's uh, like, getting up there in the age. We don't like to talk about it. But. Well, Jess, are you, aren't you older than me? I might be. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just, Sean was trying to cleverly uh, segue us into the sign-off, but yeah, I just I, I just blocked that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we have talked about a lot of things, and we want to leave some things for next time. I'm, I'm excited about the fact that there will be a next time. I'm glad to be part of this program. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. CJ, do you have anything else to add before we sign off? No, it's been fun. I look forward to doing it again. All right. So from all of us here, oh man, I just realized I'm doing this for the last time. Okay. From all of us here, Judge Cast. For the last time, this is Sean Kedonese. I keep it fair. And I keep it fun. You know what, Jess? We keep it on the air. What have I wrought that I gave this to you guys? Oh, man. See, you really do need to go through and cut things out, CJ.